Hi, welcome to our fourth class in Tour de Tanya. Um, today, Bezrat Hashem. Hello, Gabriel. Okay, so, hi, David. Um, today, please God, we're going to um, go through chapters 9 to 17. Um, as a review for what we did in the last couple of classes, uh, chapters one to three, we described what is a Jew. And we said that the Jew is composed of two primary, two, two souls, so to speak. Uh, one is called the Nefesh of Bahamis, which is the natural human soul, which is of creation and therefore will eventually stop being. Um, and that drives the that drives all of its all of its behavior, that fear of its impending end. Whereas the nefesh elokis, the godly soul of the Jew, which makes the Jew a Jew, um, is selfless and is not driven by uh, anything other than a desire to serve its creator and to merge back with its creator, uh, and has no fear of death because death is not applicable to such a soul. Um, the soul is composed of intellect, which we call Chabad, Chochmah, Bino, and Das, and emotions, which is love and fear or awe, and then the uh, different combinations of those. Um, chapters four to eight weeks was called Torah, Mitzvahs, and everything else. Uh, we said that through doing um, mitzvahs, um, speaking and thinking mitzvahs those are called the garments of the soul of the nefesh elakis and torah learning torah is called the bread of uh, of the nefesh elakis and we explained how torah and uh, and hashem is one um hashem is enclosed in his torah and when we are engaged in torah and mitzvahs we are um also merged with hashem either enclosed within him when we're doing mitzvahs um, or with the deeper bond which is we said internal and external through learning Torah. Uh, the godly um, we spoke about the klipas noiga which we called the light klipper which is the shell that allows so to speak a sense of separation from God um, that allows us really the point of it is to allow us to have uh, free choice without that there would be no free choice so there's two kinds of clippers we spoke about there's what's called clippers noiga the light clipper uh, which the godly essence is accessible to us and then there's what's called the um the uh, clipper the gimel clippers of Timaeus, the dark clipper uh, where um, the godly essence is not accessible to us, and that would uh, that would create the realm of what's called forbidden um, asur in Hebrew, and that would be something that the Jew cannot raise up or be involved in. Um, okay, so let's jump in to chapters nine to seventeen. The inner struggle. Okay, so the essence of the struggle is that we have inside of us this duality of creation and creator, the need to survive and to accentuate and not accentuate and to um, 
to propagate um, to solidify our existence and the desire to merge with our creator and to have no existence basically um, that's the dichotomy that goes on inside the Jew the Nefesh of Bahamis the natural soul his primary dwelling place is in the heart and from there he goes up into the brain and spreads out into all the other areas of the body. The primary location of the nefesh elokis, even though they're not like the concept of space isn't really applicable to these things, or it is more to the nefesh of it's not so much the nefesh elokis. Um, the nefesh elokis primary, his primary, uh, her primary um, resting place is in the mind, in the brain, and then goes down to the heart. So we could say it like this, the Nefesh of Bahamis is the intellect in service of the emotions. We mentioned this last week. The emotions run the show and they, so to speak, dominate and manipulate and control the intellect to achieve their own selfish purposes. The Nefesh Elokis, on the other hand, is emotions in the service of the intellect. The Nefesh Elokis is primarily intellectual and using, using the intellect, the nefesh elokis um, generates or arouses emotions in either way. The conflict is over the body. Either soul wants dominion over the body. And in the Tanya, the Rebbe explains that this is like two kings fighting over what he calls an ir katana, a small city. The small city is the body and the two kings are the nefesh of Bahamas and the nefesh of Akis. And the reason why it's compared to two kings um, struggling against each other is because there is no compromise. Just like, just like a state can't compromise with another state or one malchus, one kingdom can't compromise with another kingdom. It's an exclusive kind of thing to quote Manus that each of the souls are looking for exclusive rights over the entire city, which is the body. And they want to become enclosed. Their, their, their garments of thought, speech, and action, their ability to think, speak, and do, um, want, they want them to become enclosed in the body exclusively. Um, and that's the inner struggle of the Jew. Now, we didn't mention until now the concept of Tzaddik, Beinoini, and Russia. And that's quite surprising because everybody who's touched the Tanya for even uh, the briefest amount of time has been introduced to the concept of Tzaddik, Beinoini, and Russia. And um, it's very important to get clear that the Rebbe is not trying to give us three types of Jew or three he doesn't want us to box anyone in especially ourselves. when you understand the time on a deeper level these three levels that were, really it's two levels that split into three levels that split into five levels that split into six levels these two levels of Tzaddik and Russia or the three levels of Tzaddik Benoni and Russia are describing internal experiences that are available to the Jew and a Jew can cycle through all five of these experiences. I know I'm changing all the numbers. I constantly keep changing the numbers. You'll see why in a minute. Uh, but a Jew can constantly cycle through all five of these experiences 
every day and multiple dimes every day as well. So we're not talking about five people. We're talking about five inner experiences. And this is the, this is the intelligent way of understanding this, the way that I've understood it. So now just to make it super simple, we've got emotions and behavior. Emotions is the internal world and behavior is the external world. How we feel compared to how we act. Remember, behavior comprises of thought, speech, and action. Thought is also considered a behavior. So the tzaddik has perfection internally and externally, meaning his emotional world is completely aligned with God. He loves the things that God loves, and he hates the things that God hates. That's his inner world. And obviously, if that's the case, then his external world, his world of his 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 uh, outer layers of garments of his behavior are also going to be completely in line with God. Now, the Russia, on the other hand, his world, his internal world is divided. He has desires for godliness and he also has desires for things of this world. Um, his behavior also is imperfect, meaning that he doesn't act perfectly. So we've got the tzaddik on one hand who's got the perfect internal world and the perfect external world. Let's, perfect insides and perfect outsides, perfect emotions and perfect behaviors, godly emotions, godly behaviors. Then we've got the Russia who is imperfect internally and imperfect externally. He um, He's divided in what he loves and what he hates. He has loves for this world and loves for Hashem. And his behavior is not perfect. He transgresses. He does avails. The Benoni is the middle guy. And that doesn't mean that he's half merits and half. He's not half mitzvahs and half avails. It means that his inner world is comparable to that of the Russia, meaning that he is divided internally. But his external reality, his behavior is like that of the tzaddik. He behaves perfectly in thought, speech, and action. Uh, I created a, your, when you download the, or when, if you look at the sheets, I created, I'll just show you that I made it like a little chart here that will help you be able to just hustle what we're going to explain now. Um, so we've got two types of tzaddikim, and we've got two types of rishoyim, as the Tanya tells us, as everyone knows. We've got the tzaddik called uh, the tzaddik gamor or the tzaddik v'toivloi. It's the same, the same describing two, two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Um, that means the, the, um, the perfect tzaddik, the tzaddik gamor, and the tzaddik v'toivloi, the tzaddik who has good. Okay. Then we have the rasha, who's also divided into two categories, the rasha v'toivloi, He's the higher level, and the Rasha Viraloi, he's the lower level, the one who has the, the Russia who has good and the Russia who has bad, or the Russia Sha'enagamo, the Russia who's not complete in his rishus, in his sinfulness, and the Russia who um, and the Russia uh, the the Russia Viraloi, who has uh, evil, the completely 
completely sinful, but we'll explain what these terms mean because they're kind of confusing. So the two types of tzaddikim, if we've got a tzaddik who's perfect in his emotions and perfect in his behavior, what could be the differentiation now between the two tzaddikim? And to be honest, to get into this deeply, which really it, it demands a lot of a lot of uh, explanation, but we don't have the time. We're just going to say it quickly that the tzaddik v'toivloi, the perfect tzaddik, has. It's not that he really did it; it's that Hashem did it for him. Either way, he became completely perfect in his fear of God, and as a so to speak, as a gift. Hashem removed the final elements of self from the pleasure of his animal soul, meaning from the very, very most essential essence of the animal soul, the last remnants of selfhood was removed. And therefore, his animal soul basically turns into a godly soul, becomes completely toiv. It's like he has two yates of toivs he's not really even of creation anymore. He's become mamash godly. The, the tzaddik v'raloi, although his emotions are completely in line with God, the very essence of who he is, of his animal soul, is not completely aligned with God. Okay, to get into, again, I'm, I'm not expecting you to understand this. It's, it's, it takes a lot of, a lot of ex explanation. But one thing that I do want to mention is that Rav Yol Khan and all the all the all the Chochmei Chabadics say the same thing? The difference between the tzaddik v'toivloi and the tzaddik v'raloi is infinitely greater than the difference between the tzaddik v'raloi and the rasha v'raloi. The tzaddik v'toivloi has, like we said, almost become not of creation or maybe he's not almost he has become not of creation he's become a truly godly being the tzaddik v'toivloi the tzaddik v'toivloi the tzaddik the tzaddik sheinagamor that's the highest level a human can attain okay um the two types of russia okay so the we've got the russia sheinagamor who's not complete, uh, the Russia of a Tovloi, he's also called the Russia that has good. Uh, that comprises basically nearly everybody that you meet in the world in their default situation, in their default inner experience, meaning that they have attraction towards things of this world. Um, and they also have attraction towards God. Now, this, this term, Russia, Russia of a Tovloi, does not actually have anything to do with the amount of sins a person does and it can actually be describing a person who doesn't sin how can that be the whether he does one sin which is very um um carl absolutely carl um, uh, um if, whether he does a sin that's not particularly serious, if there's such a thing, um, and he does it incredibly infrequently, um, or if he does much more, um, much more serious, it's a bit of a serious, no? Yeah. Much more serious, um, serious sins, and he does Material. them. Sorry? Material sin. I didn't hear that again. A, a material sin. Okay. 
um, or he does sins that are much more serious um, and he does them much more frequently as well, um, that's kind of irrelevant. That He's on the scale of Russia Vatovloy. He might be higher up or lower down, but he's still considered Russia Vatovloy. Even if he doesn't sin, meaning that he could sin. For example, um, a, a man who is thoroughly unattractive in every way possible, uh, who's married to somebody, um, and if the opportunity to be unfaithful to his wife would present itself to him, he wouldn't think twice and he'd be unfaithful. But the, the situation doesn't present itself to him for, for something out of his control, he would also be considered in the category of Russia Vatovloy. Um, the, the difference between the Russia Vatovloy and the Russia Viraloy, to summarize it, and it's really the, the it really is the actual the difference, and it doesn't really need even summarizing, very simply is in one word, regret. The Tzadik Vatovloy, because he's still connected to the good that's inside him, to his godly soul. When he does an Aveira, he will almost immediately, um, or at some point anyway, feel regret for what he did, and he will make tshuva. The Tzadik Viraloi has lost um, any conscious connection to his godly soul, although he's, you could never lose connection to your godly soul entirely. Um, and therefore, he doesn't experience thoughts of regret. And that's really the difference between the, uh, the two kinds of Rishoyim, is the concept of regret. Um, the basic struggle of the Jew is between the level, that's not the basic, the, the, the struggle of the average Jew who's trying to serve God is between the level of Russia of a Tovloi, the higher level of Russia, and Benoini. We are striving to become a Benoini. The, um, the, um, the Benoini, which is what the Sefer Tanya is written about and to. What is he and who is he? So he's referred to as like a Russia. The beginning of the Sefer, um, the Tanya quotes the, the Mishnah that says you should see yourself, I'm sorry, that quotes the Gomorrah that says, even if the whole world calls you a tzaddik, you should see yourself Russia, like a Russia. So the Benoini is called like a Russia because of two reasons. Number one, his inner world is divided just like that of the Russia. He has attraction to things of this world and attraction to God. And number two, that is very important, is that his default perspective of the world is from the eyes of his human soul. He experiences this world as a human who has a godly soul. The tzaddik experiences this world as a godly soul that is attached to a body. What's primary? Where's our perspective? So the Benoni, the regular person's perspective is as a mortal human in this world who has 
um, who has Kesha, who has connection or an experience of, of godliness within him. A very, very important point. His perspective is human. The, um, the, um, a very important thing as well to remember is that when we said that the Benoni never sins, that means also in thought. And it could even be said that maybe most importantly is that he doesn't sin in thought. The, the idea of sinning in thought, because the Benoni has a divided internal world, he will have thoughts, he will have forbidden thoughts pop up into his mind. Um, but that isn't called a that isn't called an avera, that isn't called a sin, a transgression in thought. A transgression in thought takes place when the thought is spat up into one's mind and he entertains it and dwells into it. To have the thought and to push the thought away is not only not a transgression, it's a mitzvah. The, the Rebbe tells us that when the Benoni has a negative or toxic or sinful thought, he's Messiah Das, meaning, translate Messiah Das, he, he removes his Das. It's like the, the Messiah Das, you would think, is like when you distract a kid with a toy, you distract them. But the deeper meaning of Messiah Das is that he doesn't allow himself to identify with his thoughts. It's so important to realize that we are the one who has thoughts. We are not the thinking. We have thoughts. We are the thinker, but we are not the one. We are not the thinking itself. Being Messiah Das from thinking means disentangling yourself from the actual thought itself. And this is primary to get to talk about this. It's, it's such a, it's, it's so, we could speak about this for literally for hours and hours, but we'll leave it there. But basically the, the Benoni never does a sin in thought, speech and action. And most importantly, we could say that he doesn't sin in thought, which is what allows him to maintain his Benoni-ness, if you could say such a thing. So what is it that actually makes the Benoini different from the Russia? We said that the Russia could potentially be somebody who doesn't actually do a sin just because he didn't get around to it. But he could sin. Surprisingly enough, the Benoini can't actually sin. He can't do a sin in thought, speech and action. But not for the reason that the tzaddik can't do a sin. The tzaddik can't do a sin because his internal world is repulsed by the concept of sin. He has, he's completely repulsed by the concept of sin. So obviously he can't do, speak or think anything sinful. The Benoini, that's not his reality. He could see the pleasure in a sin. Absolutely, 100%. He can appreciate, <laughs> if you can say such a thing, he can appreciate the sin. Yeah. Um, he can appreciate the sin. So what stops him from doing the sin? So simple. 
Yerushalayim, meaning that he has a um, a genuine appreciation for Hashem's presence. To the Benoni, Hashem is real. He's also real. To the Tzaddik, the Tzaddik in himself, there's no, there's no reality in me. There's only reality in Hashem. That's the role of the Tzaddik. The Russia is there's reality in me. And Hashem, who, what? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 him. Yeah, he's not a real, he's not, he could even say I believe in God, but he's not real in the Russia's world. How do we know that? Because he can do an Avera. How could you do something against someone's ruts on someone's will when they're standing there right in front of you? You can't do that unless you're the most, unless you're truly evil. You can't go against somebody. You can't do something against them in front of their face. You have to get out of their presence. So to the Russia, God is a real. The proof is, or not always real, the proof is that he does occasionally do avails. Or he could do an Aveira if the opportunity presented itself to him. The Tzaddik can't do an Aveira because he just can't do it. That's repulsive. How could I do such a thing? The Benoni can't do an Aveira because, well, God's sitting there watching me. So how could I do that? That's the, that's the, that's the reality of the Benoni. So it's not an inner reality. It's not an inner. It's not something internal that's stopping him from doing an Aveira. It's something external, his appreciation of the presence of the Rabboni Shoilim. And that's really what makes the difference between the, ben the Benoni and the Russia. Now, um, the key tool that we have to develop an appreciation for the presence of God is called Moich Shoilet Alalev. If you think it, you feel it. Basically, the more you can be now, the, the what the Rebbe says is misboinen al godless al al Hashem. His boineness is from the word to build. So again, we could spend we could spend hours and hours talking about all this stuff, um, but just to say very quickly, so I'm just work out my nose gone that um that when we build in our mind using our intelligence we can actually not only change our perception of the world we can also change our inner our inner world as well okay this is what the Rebbe calls the long road that's the short road that we actually have the ability, the Benoni actually does have the ability to somewhat change his internal world, um, but most importantly, has the ability to come to a to come to a perception of the presence of the Creator. The most important, there's two very important things when we talk about being misboinen on Gedula Hashem. Firstly, Gedula Hashem is the giveaway term because. What does it mean? Hashem is big. Hashem isn't big or small. Those terms, neither of those terms, apply to him. So what the Rebbe is hinting to us by talking about thinking about Gedulas Hashem is 
think about things that make a difference to you. Everybody, ask, ask, ask anyone in the street, what makes you go wow when you think about Hashem? And people have all different kinds of answers. I'm not going to get into it. I've asked a lot of people, and you'll find people have different kinds of people think about different things, that he can listen to everyone's tefillas all at the same time, that he's the world is within him, that he can do anything he wants. He can even manipulate Tether and you wouldn't know that he's doing. And everyone's got different things that they connect to. Yeah. Think about that. Doesn't mean that you have to get involved in crazy, you know, esoteric Kabbaladika ideas. Um, if you can get involved in those ideas, that's great. But thinking about Gedulah Hashem can be a very personal thing on your level, on your personal level. The Ikka, the, the main, the primary avoider, the primary work of his boininess, of this kind of meditation, is Shachris. Investing time and energy into Shachris is the ultimate Segula to come to a genuine appreciation of the presence of God in your life. Without any question, I can tell you that from my own personal experience, by turning Shachris into, the way I describe it is like a work of art. Shachris is not just, uh, Shachris, I, I, I look, I, I approach Shachris as, a, as, a, as like a, as an artist approaches a canvas. And I try every day as best as I can to paint a masterpiece. You start with 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 the right with with go. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but to turn shachris as opposed to a ashra yishtabach, you know, a brushim ashra yishtabach, while you're putting on to fill in and the whole thing finished in in 30 minutes, turn it into a real experience. Take a couple of hours over the whole thing with learning before, at least an hour and a half, something like that. Uh, that is the that is the primary. Um, experience the primary avoider of his boininess um, that will bring you to uh, an actual um, an actual palpable perception of the Rabboinashroilum being here now. Okay. The, the Tanya describes two kinds of Bainoinim. There's the one who serves and the one who doesn't serve. What's the definition of divine service? So this is, I mean, this is my definition, but it's based on the Tanya. Exerting proactive energy to push oneself beyond one's natural default state. That means, avoidance of Shem means struggle and pushing and striving. A person could grow up in a holy neighborhood with holy parents, um, with holy friends, be subjected to holy rabbis, and his his external avoider, external service could appear to be incredibly impressive. But that's not called avoidus Hashem. Avoidus Hashem is to do with the struggle. So when a person is on a high level and he's taking care of all the small details and um, getting by with minimum sleep and and minimum food and, and um, dedication, etc. the divine service is measured on how much he's pushing himself out of his comfort zone. And that's where we need to go. That's the struggle of the Benoini. And there's two ways that the Benoini uh, can be not serving. 
Number one, he could just be a dispassionate, passive kind of guy, okay? And he doesn't have the, 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 the passionate, um, aggressive soul of most of us. For example, if he wasn't sitting in the base medrash learning Torah, he'd be in some laboratory studying other books. That's just who he is by nature. So he doesn't have to fight to avoid sin and to put himself into mitzvahs. The other guy is a guy who is passionate and has does have an aggressive animal soul, but who exerted himself at some point to the point where he, so to speak, tamed his soul or trained his soul or, or um, what's, the, not trained, what's the word, um, drafted his animal soul into the avoidance of Hashem. And again, now he's plateaued out and he doesn't need to exert himself in any kind of in any kind of proactive way. He is also called the guy who doesn't serve, the Benoni who doesn't serve. Why is he a Benoni? Because he doesn't do any of those and he does all the mitzvahs that come to him. Why doesn't he serve? Why is he called not the one who doesn't serve? Because there's no struggle. He's not fighting. The, the moshal, the analogy in the, in the world of, in the physical world is the, um, is the, um, uh, what's it called? Is the, um, is the idea of building muscle and, and becoming stronger that everyone knows that the actual to get stronger and to build your muscles you have to push and push and push to the point where it starts to really hurt and it's at that point when it's really hurting that all the muscle the, the muscle fibers actually tear and that's how your muscles get bigger is when the muscle fibers tear when you take it to the very most difficult point you can the muscle fibers tear and then when they re um what's the word they um they um re-engage reattach reattach or fit yes there's another word um what's the word? Whatever, when they when they when they fix themselves and they bind they 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 repair themselves yeah they repair themselves stronger and bigger and that's exactly how our muscles build. And that's how we know with patients. Like, look at, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you look at my patients, say, 15 years ago when I had two children and look at my patients now with all my children and what we've been through. And I think everyone can relate to this. Yeah, it's incomparable. Why? Because we've been pushed through these limits and we've it's re uh, it, it re it re uh, constituted itself, and we've become stronger. And that's exactly how it works in with patients on an emotional level, on a physical level with our muscles, and on a spiritual level with our divine service. Okay, so the average, the avoider of the average Benoni. Um, this is a very important point that the average Benoini is generally not able to create a palpable emotion in his heart. When we think about things, we have emotions towards things. Now, for example, if you were to compare a, a run-of-a-mill kind of college um, tiver, how would you say about tiver in, in English? Hedonist. A hedonist, great, thank you, Gavriel. That a regular college hedonist, yeah, with a um, with a political activist, 
Ask the college hedonist, how much are you prepared to exert yourself for your wild parties and for your for your um, for your drugs and 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 et cetera, et cetera. And they they do exert themselves, but nothing compared to a genuine political activist or a religious zealot. Is that the right word? Zealot, whatever, extreme person. Why? Because the religious or political person has engaged their mind into their cause and their emotions have become much more palpable. The hedonist is just doing what feels good. So there's only a certain level that he can get to in his, in his energy for his cause. So the Benoni, a regular Benoni doesn't have the, the intellectual power to actually generate palpable emotions in the heart. He does have the power, however, to create what my Rebbe calls a conviction of the heart. That means you basically know that it makes sense that you should be mamash killing yourself for Hashem, that you should be exerting yourself to the nth degree. You know it makes sense. Do you feel it? Not really, no. But you know that if this is the case and all, the, all of reality is God, everything else is just has apparent reality but it isn't really real and it's all there for the service of god then it makes sense that i should be pushing myself to the nth degree but, but i'm not i don't feel it but it makes sense if you serve god from that place you are doing really really well in fact doing so well that god himself will make a miracle for you and this is kind of a kabbalistic idea but if you just have that idea that the concept of the intellectual power is not as um is not as intense as emotional power to raise our mitzvahs up which we're not going to discuss what that means right now but for our mitzvahs so to speak to go up needs an intense, intense power, which has to be done with emotional power. Intellectual, the intellectual energy that we muster in our mind is not, it's like, it's like putting regular gas into a jet plane. It's not, it doesn't work. You need like high octane fuel for a jet plane. So if you just like, you know, put in regular gas, nothing's going to happen. But Hashem makes a miracle and he holds that that is so holy that you're in control of your mind and you're trying to generate emotions in your heart, even though you're not being successful, that he um, judges it as if you had actually created palpable emotions in your heart. And he brings the mitzvah up to a much higher level. Um, and that's what we call Mashava Toiva Kodesh Baruchum Maisa. The Mashava Toiva is the, the good thought, so to speak, which is this conviction in the mind that I know it makes sense to be going all out for God, but I don't really feel it. That's the Mashava Toiva. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mitz He combines it or he combines it with the mitzvah, with the action, and the action goes up to Hashem. And this is how the Rebbe explains the posuk that the whole Tanya is based on. That this thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to do. And the question is, well, it doesn't appear to me very close in my 
in my heart, my heart is very far from God. I'm not into God. I'm into things of this world. So how can this thing be very close? And that's what the Rebbe says. It's very close in your mouth and in your heart to do. Meaning in your mouth is generating the right kind of thoughts. Okay, even though it says mouth, it's still to do with articulation. That can create a conviction, which is similar to the energy of the heart in whatever way it is, in the best way you can do. But the ikka word here, the most fundamental word is to do it. It's in our capabilities. It's in the capability of every Jew to be able to generate enough intellectual stimulus to come to a conviction in his mind that will allow him to do all the mitzvahs and to avoid all of errors. And just to finish off, to make this super important, just to not super important, to, make, to tie it, bring it into a super practical application, is this also goes for marriage. Even if you don't feel it, if you don't love your wife right now, and we know that love, emotions wax and wane, they, they rise and fall. If a person isn't feeling loving towards his wife right now, doesn't really matter. If you can intellectually process the concept of marriage and how hosh of your wife is to you, that will always be enough. Not that we shouldn't be striving to experience feelings. I'm just saying when we're not experienced feelings, if you have clear in your mind who your wife is, and what marriage is, that should be enough to, for you to perform perfectly, for you to behave perfectly in your marriage. It's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful idea to know. It's just so liberating to know that even if I'm not feeling it, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to my heart. I've got a mind and my mind is shoyla over my heart. My mind, the moyach shoyla alalev, the brain is... Um, Shola, the brain rules. The brain rules over the heart. A, a fundamental, a complete. That we don't, we we don't think about this. Like I'm not in control of my thoughts. If I was say to everybody right now, I want everyone to start processing their two times table. Okay, start thinking. Two times two equals four. Two times three equals six. Two times four equals eight. And then I say stop. You can stop. And you can distract yourself to think about something else. There's no difference between that and any other thinking. Just we don't, we don't, we don't remember that we can distract ourselves and move our mind away. And it could be that it's going to take a lot of time to constantly be pulling ourselves back and back and back. But the nature of the human being is that he is in control of what he thinks about. And that is really the foundation of the whole Sefer Tanya. Wow. Okay. Any questions? So, so basic can you just summarize where we are a living in the world of a of a of a Russia Baralo, Batovlo, and the way we modify our behavior to become a Bainani is with Makshava. Shola Alev. 
the, the avoider of the Benoni is primarily through Machshava. Not even primarily, it's through Machshava. That Machshava thinking is our, is the, the key weapon that the Benoni has at his disposal to serve God. Does that mean that the more, the more used, the more um, skilled you are at utilizing thinking, the less likely a Ruchstus is to overtake you and bring you to do something that you don't want to do? 100%. So doesn't that mean that the, everyone is Chayev for their Averas because they let the Ruchstus in? I mean, I don't need to make that Cheshbon. <laughs> Shen's going to work that one out. <laughs> Hopefully no one's Chayev for anything, but the the Ruchstus is Dafka thinking. That's why it's called Ruch. Meaning it is, it's, oh, it is in your control. Chazal seems to say, make, a, make a way out. As if it's like a Pator. But there's it's, really no Pator because not, you're Chayev not, to meditate. It's not a Pator. That just explains to you how on earth can it be that a human being can transgress the will of God. It's not a Pator. Mm. It's just this is what happens, that the guy goes insane for a moment and it's a ruach shtus. That's the point. It covers you up to your ruach. It doesn't go past the ruach to the neshama. That's what the Rebbe mm-hmm. says later on. That wow. the, that you're, the chokhmah can always trump. That's why chokhmah can trump the ruach shtus, because it doesn't go up that high. It never covers the chokhmah. It always is involved in the machshavas. But you're, you're thinking, what you think about is key to everything. Mm-hmm. Shmuel, I gotta go. Goodbye. I'm actually coming to Israel next week, so let's talk. I'll talk to oh, you later. Man. Okay, we'll hook up. Bye, Thomas. Did, did we say that person can never aspire towards?